Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible, would you take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12? It'll be our teaching text this morning. If you're using your pew Bible, you can find that on page 1009, Luke chapter 12. It's good to see you. You look smashing, as usual. Some new colors of uh, wear in the audience today. A little black, a little gold. Looks good. I approve. Today we're bringing to close this series, How to Be Rich. And uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've uh, taken a look, a hard look, I think, at the Scriptures to see what God is telling us about being wealthy, having riches in this current world, and how to live as rich people. What are the ways we are to act and what is our attitude to be towards God in the midst of all of this wealth uh, that we have. Uh, I hope that you've enjoyed this journey as we've tried to explore some of the relevant, relevant points of wealth. And we know that the Bible has a lot to say about what it means to be rich and how to be wealthy people. Managing what He's given us and, and loving God more than money. And I think that for some of us, uh, I hope that this journey has been insightful. I hope that it's been challenging and maybe even for some it's been painful as we've tried to really understand what God is saying and take those principles and pray through them and ask God, how should we then live according to your standards with what you've given to us? How should we live as Christ followers in this culture? How should we live in this country and now in our community? Today we're going to simply address one issue. One issue that if it goes unchecked, threatens to undo everything that we've talked about over the past few weeks. One issue that if we don't address it now, if we don't come to terms with it, if we don't bring it to the forefront, will simply wipe away all of the uh, things that we've prayed about, all of the things we've tried to introduce into our lives. If we don't stop and address this one issue and it goes unchecked in our lives, it can ruin us. It's one issue that caused Jesus to call a man a fool because it had a grip on him. Look at Luke chapter 12 with me this morning. That one issue is greed. The question we must wrestle with this morning is this. Will we be rich in possessions or will we be rich toward God? Will we be rich in what we have or will we choose to be rich in who God is? As we look at Luke chapter 12 and kind of jump into this, this scene this morning, let me set that scene for you. From Luke's writing perspective, Jesus has uh, turned His face towards Jerusalem. By the time we get to chapter 12, Jesus has set His eyes on the cross and the Passion Week that is to come in the next few weeks or the next few days. And so Jesus is very focused and Jesus is very poignant in what He has to say because He knows His time is near. And as He moves from town to town and village to village, traveling with His disciples, large crowds are gathering with Him to hear what He will say and to see what He will do. And it's in this setting, in crowds of thousands, as Luke tells us in just a few verses before this in chapter 12, in a town with crowds of thousands gathering around him, this one request comes to, from him, comes from someone in the crowd. 
Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me to be a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, he said to the crowd, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The request that came from the crowd, the request that came from this man, had to do with his inheritance. It had to do with his wealth. It was an issue of money. It was an issue of riches. And based on his request, we noticed a few things right off the top. First of all, we would understand that this is a younger brother of someone, uh, a younger brother in, in someone's family. It would seem as though there's a dispute on handling the inheritance, a dispute over the estate. You see, the older brother, according to the laws and the customs, the older brother would be given the the wealth of the estate to distribute to everyone in the family. In this kind of setting, it would be two-thirds to the older brother, one-third to the younger. So obviously, this is a younger brother in the middle of a family with an estate. There's a squabble over the estate, a fight about the finances. And this younger brother comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to settle this matter because he wants his share. Secondly, we notice that that the brother recognizes Jesus as some kind of authority figure, someone who would be able to speak to this issue. The man says as he uh, makes his request in the crowd, he says, teacher, will you handle this for me? We know then that uh, he regards Jesus as a teacher, one with authority, one who could handle this matter of money. Jesus is being sought after, looked to as one who has authority to address the issue of the inheritance, one who has authority to address the issue of money. The third thing that we notice from this uh, exchange is how quickly Jesus moves to the heart of the real issue at hand. He rather tersely addresses the man, if you will, and moves beyond the surface issue. He says, man, what is this issue of me? I I don't have anything to do with this. I'm not your arbiter. I'm not the judge of this situation. And he moves quickly beyond the issue that the man brings. You see, Jesus in Luke's Gospel is constantly consumed by His mission. His mission is the kingdom. His mission is that He has come to bring the kingdom to man. And so as Jesus has set His face towards Jerusalem and is now even more focused on what His mission is to bring people to God, it's as though He has no time to deal with people who want wealth. He has no time to deal with bringing wealth to people. It's as though Jesus is saying there's something more important There's something more valuable to spend our lives pursuing and chasing. Life is not about the riches or the wealth that we amass for ourselves. There is more to life than the sense of security that money or or social position can, can buy for us or that social status attains for us through our wealth. There's a greater pursuit that people are to be a part of. This difficult situation that the man presents really is a symptom of something deeper that's going on in his heart. It's really a symptom of something deeper that's going on in all of our hearts. 
It's an attitude of greed. Jesus finds that addressing the root issue is more advantageous than addressing the surface problem. And so he says this, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Wealth and riches lure us into managing our money with a temporal view of getting what we deserve, padding our own pockets. Wealth and riches entice us in building our own empire and ascending in the social community. And Jesus uses a very stern word when addressing this concern. He uses these words, watch out, be on guard. And when we look at that in the original language, it is a, a, uh, an aggressive kind of language to aggressively come against anything that opposes you. Something that we will see later on this afternoon as Roethlisberger, uh, you know, steps aside, watch out, be on guard from the oncoming defense. Very seriously, Jesus is asking us to watch out. And to take an aggressive approach when greed rears its ugly head. We are not to just sit passively by and hope that it doesn't consume us. We are not to sit passively by and hope that we can simply sidestep the issue. Instead, when Jesus says, watch out and be on guard, He is saying, be aggressive. Aggressively resist the temptation of greed. Do something in your life that will put up a barrier between you and greed. Jesus clearly is not suggesting a passive approach when it comes to managing wealth and dealing with the temptations that accompany it. Greed is one thing that will cloud our thinking, that will pull us off course, and that will blur our perspective. It is this insatiable desire to have more than we need. To have more than my own share. This is what wealth does. If we would remember our reading from 1 Timothy this morning. The love of money pushes us to all kinds of evil. Greed is the result of the love of wealth. And Jesus commands us, to aggressively attack all kinds of greed. But perhaps it's his last sentence that's so striking in that exchange. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do we ever really stop to think of all that we've amassed for ourselves? Do we ever stop and take inventory of everything that's in our house? How often when you go home and pop the garage door opener and the garage door goes up and you see everything that is in your garage, do you sit and think, what in the world have we done? I can't even park my car in the garage because of all of the stuff that we have. In our basement, we have this one little section, this one little corner that's reserved for the garage sale. And someday when spring comes... That groundhog better be ready tomorrow. (laughs) Someday when spring comes, we're going to have that garage sale. 
However, unlike Crocker, I'm not going to take my money and go around the cul-de-sac. I'm keeping it. You can keep your stuff. But do we ever stop and think about everything that we have? Do we define our lives by what we accumulate? Do we live in such a way that we need to have this or have that in order to feel like we've made it in life? In order to feel like we've arrived? In order to feel like we're set? What is it that we chase after? What is it that we look for that we say, if only I could have this, then we made it. If only I could have that, then we're set for life. Isn't it easy in this day to measure the success of our lives by the abundance of our possessions? I think what's even more sobering about this statement that Jesus makes here in Luke is when we realize that he's not really even talking about earthly life. He says a man's life, a man's life does not consist of in the abundance of his possessions. See, when he talks about life, he's talking about our eternal destiny. He's talking about eternal life. Joel Green writes that in Luke's Gospel, life is a metaphor for salvation. Those who would enjoy it, those who would enjoy life, those who would find eternal life, must beware of one of its chief adversaries' possessions. And so Luke shows Jesus drawing the tension between one who lives in the pursuit of possessions, gaining more and having more and accumulating more and storing more up, this this passionate pursuit of possessions. The tension is drawn between one who does that and one who passionately pursues God. One who would say, instead of being rich in possessions, I want to be rich in faith. Instead of being rich by what I have, I want to be rich in who I know. Jesus draws this tension out with this issue of greed. And to drive home His point, Jesus launches into a parable. And He talks about a farmer who has had a fantastic crop come in. He sees the the harvest ahead of him and understands that it's going to be a banner year in his business. And He uses this as an illustration of one who chooses to manage his wealth in the pursuit of possession. Building his own fortune, padding his own pockets. And he's chastised as one who is rich in earthly wealth, but not one who is rich towards God. The farmer lives life and manages his money with absolutely no thought and absolutely no consideration to the eternal value of being rich toward God and the implications that that carries. Such is the temptation of greed. Notice in verse 18, as Jesus has already launched into this parable, the farmer says, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. And be merry. There is no doubt that the farmer has been successful and profitable in his business. He is living in abundance and he has been blessed at work. And watch his thinking. 
before his successful crop is even harvested, before he even brings it in, he enters into an expansive building project so that he can store up all of his success. He can save and he can put away and he can uh, have for himself under protection all that he owns and all that he has. He realizes and understands that the blessing that is in front of him is so massive, is so big, that the buildings he currently has cannot contain it all. And so his, his answer to his dilemma is this, I will tear down what I have and I will build bigger so that I can store up and keep and protect everything that I get and save it for the future. There's this underlying concern, a worry that he won't have enough for the future. There's a concern that he won't be able to maintain his lifestyle. Notice that there's absolutely no thought as to how his generated wealth can be a blessing to others. There's absolutely no thought of taking the overflow of his abundance and reinvesting it in the kingdom. There's absolutely no thought of taking what God has blessed him in abundance with and turning it back into the community and feeding and helping those who are poor, those who are needy, and those who are in want. There's absolutely no thought, no consideration at all given to the needs of other people. His concern is for his current need and growing his standard of living. And so he manages his wealth and his abundance, his blessings, to ensure that he can continue to be satisfied himself. He builds bigger buildings so he can store up, protect, and preserve his wealth. Now here's the tension. Verse 20, But God said to him, You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I like how Jesus kind of introduces this teaching part of the parable. But God said to him. You see, we say a lot of things trying to convince ourselves of what we should do and how we should live. We say a lot of things trying to convince ourselves of what to do and what we think is right. We say a lot of things to ourselves and to our spouse and to our friends and to our family on what we think we should do to preserve and to protect and to store up the things that we need and the things that we have for ourselves. But Jesus says, let's shift the perspective. But God says. God says to this man, you're a fool to live this way. Green makes this observation that the farmer has sought to secure himself and to secure his future without reference to God. This rich man is seeking to secure for himself and his future the, the things that he needs without any reference to God. That is the power of this word fool that Jesus uses in this passage. Someone who without any thought to what God would say without any reference to the eternal perspective, would venture out and launch out in their own thinking and making their own decisions. It carries with it the significance of a person who rebels against God or whose practices deny God. 
using this word fool, coheres with the representation of greed as a form of idolatry. We want to worship our things instead of God. And so I choose what to do. But God has said that when our life is demanded, what we've accumulated stays behind. But God has said that His kingdom and matters of eternity should be considered when managing one's wealth and riches. You see, when greed grabs us, we miss God's perspective. The other thing that I find interesting in this parable and in this tension point is that Jesus makes a distinction between the what of riches and the who of riches. When driven by greed, we fail to invest in eternity. We fail to understand what it means to live in the kingdom and what it means to to, uh, invest in the kingdom and what God would have for us. You see, back in in, uh, verse 20, Jesus said, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who? Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, when we think of investing for here and now, when we think of the temporal investments, it's always about what? It's about property. It's about wealth. It's about status. It's about bigger barns, bigger investments, bigger accounts. But when we think about investing from an eternal perspective, it's always about who? Who can be impacted by these resources? Who can we minister to with the wealth and who can we share it with? Who can find hope? Who can find help? Who can find healing with the abundance of wealth that we have? And again, as we've talked about wealth over the few weeks, we're not talking merely about money, but we're talking about money. We're talking about your time. We're talking about your talent. We're talking about the things that you're passionate about. We're talking about the network that you have in your home and in your work and in your community. Who could benefit from all of your wealth? It's a question we wrestle with. Will we, will we invest in the temporal and the temporary? Or will we invest in that which is eternal? Will we invest trying to build a portfolio of things instead of an eternal investment filled with a portfolio of people? I want to be clear that I don't think rich And remember, we're all rich. We've tried to drive that home over the past few weeks. Whether by statistics or by definition, many of us, if not all of us, are rich. I don't think the rich and the abundantly wealthy need to give everything away and to live as paupers. I don't think we should look to care. I don't think we shouldn't look to care for our own needs and make sure that we're secure and we're set and we have the proper investments for our future and to take care of our family and to make sure that we can help our kids when we can and we're paying our taxes and we're, we're saving a little bit of money for retirement. I don't think the Scripture's asking us not to do that. I think the Scriptures are asking us to manage our wealth within reason and to think about the eternal investment that we can make. You see, greed is the issue that Jesus is addressing, this desire for more. 
Now watch how Jesus elaborates on this in the next few verses. He moves outside of the parable. He finishes the parable and he turns his attention to the disciples that are right around him. And he says this, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what your body or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he goes on and he says in verse 25, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Verse 28, if that is how God clothes the grass, you see he used some illustrations of how God is uh, sufficient in nature. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows. Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom. And these things will be given to you. I think it's interesting how Jesus moves the conversation and ties the idea of worry into the flaw of greed. I have a slide up here. Put it in black and gold so that it would stand out. You see, when we're, when we're gripped with greed, it leads us to worry about the things that are around us. It leads us to worry about our possessions. Will we have enough tomorrow? The, the crisis our country is in, the jobs in our local market, will we have enough? I'm worried about the clothes and the food and, and even in a bigger picture, our future. We worry about that. Which is really comes from fear. We're afraid of what, what may happen. We're afraid of what's out there. And I would say we're afraid because it's really a trust issue. Do we really trust God to be who He says He will be? Do we trust God to be the one who will provide for us? Do we trust God to meet our every need? Jesus said in this passage, He stepped out of the parable and He's speaking, He's teaching plainly to His disciples, look, I know that you need food and clothes. God knows that. Don't worry about that. He will take care of your needs. Be people who seek the kingdom. See, when we can trust God, there's no fear for what tomorrow brings. And if I'm not fearful about tomorrow, then I don't have to worry. And if I don't live a life of worry, why should I be greedy? We've been asked to trust Him. To seek Him. To make an investment in eternity. You know, we don't understand what's going to happen. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We sang that song this morning, and I like the words that I am, I'm not skilled to understand what God has willed and what God has planned. I don't have the skill to figure that out. I can worry about my life and try to sit in fear, not trusting God but I realize I don't have the skill to understand what he's doing. This is what I do know. I do know that there's one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who makes intercession for us, who knows our need, 
and who has promised that when we seek the kingdom, all of these things will be given to us. Everything that we need will be taken care of. Notice back in the story, the common worries that people have that Jesus addresses. What will we eat? What will we wear? How will we take care of our earthly things? You remember what the farmer said he would do once he stored up all his wealth? What did, what did he say he would do once he stored up and protected and had all of his bigger, bigger stuff stored up? What's he going to do? Eat, drink, and be merry. And what does Jesus say about those who put their attention and focus on eating and drinking and taking care of the temporary and the temporal? He says that's what the pagans run after. That's what the pagans seek. Your Father knows what you need. Seek the kingdom. Run after Him. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in eternity. And these things, what we eat, what we wear, what we drive, the mortgage that we have, the business that we own, the employer that we work for, all of these things will be satisfied. All of these things will be taken care of. Seek the kingdom. It may not work out as you thought. It may not, the end result may not be perfect in your mind, but seek the kingdom. And when we seek the kingdom, you will have all your needs taken care of. Consider again our foundational passage of this entire series, how Paul urges Timothy to command the rich. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, verse 19, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's an eternal investment. And so as we draw to a close this morning, how can we be rich? How can we invest in eternity? A few action steps to help you think through this. First of all, review your portfolio. Review your portfolio and ask yourself, Where are you investing your wealth, your time, your riches, your connections, your resources, your network? Is it time to reallocate some of your wealth into different ventures? And how are we investing in the kingdom? These are the first steps to aggressively attacking this enemy of greed. Will we think through what we're investing in. Again, as uh, Rick spoke last week, we're not even necessarily asking you to think of the church alone. It's not just the ministries here. It's not, the kingdom isn't just about these walls. The kingdom is about people. And God has asked us to, to invest in eternity for the sake of the kingdom. That wherever we live, wherever we work, wherever our children go to school, that we would invest in the kingdom there as well. 
that we would use our wealth and that we would leverage our time and our resources in a godly way and make a difference in those places. Hey, we need you to work here. Absolutely, we need volunteers to keep this great ministry going. But we need you in the community as well. To stand up every day where you work, where you live, and in our schools and say, we're investing in the kingdom. Is it time to look through the portfolio? Is it time to assess what's going on in the kingdom? To ask God, where are you working and what are you doing? And where do I see your blessing? And where can I jump in and join my efforts to you? Is it time for some of us to actively seek the kingdom? To not just say it, to not just sing about it, to not just read about it in Scripture or or attend a class. But when we walk out of these four walls, when the rubber hits the road in in the rest of our lives, will we really seek the kingdom? Will we take prayer seriously? Will we take Scripture reading seriously? Will we seek to build relationships with those who are outside the kingdom to show them the entry points to the kingdom? Will we seek Him? Will we make it a priority to deepen our faith? Do we have the courage to be obedient? God has said a lot of things in His Word about money. And you may or may not agree with how we've presented it. But one thing is true. God's pretty clear on what He asks of us. Question will we be obedient? Do we have the courage to do what He's asking us to do? Imagine how life would be different if we managed our wealth from an eternal perspective. If we worshiped God through our offerings, responded to the needs of those in our community, giving from our abundance to see the kingdom expand, finding the widows and the elderly and the orphans and the poor and blessing them? What if, our, what if our barns were small, but our grace was enormous? What if we had complete trust in God to meet our needs? This is money management from an eternal perspective. This is how we are to be rich. We close this series and as we move toward the table this morning, thanks be to God that Jesus Christ chose to invest in eternity. He didn't hold the riches of heaven with a tight fist, but He emptied Himself for us. He let go of the things of heaven so that He could invest in the people of God. As we sing this next song, I would invite you to sing it as a prayer of commitment for what God has been asking of you over this current series and a prayer of preparation as we move toward the table. Let's pray. Father, in these moments, we ask that you would seal to our heart what you have taught us and that we would be people 
who would be more interested in pursuing you than in pursuing the riches of this earth. Give us the courage, God, to not be greedy, to live life with an eternal perspective. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.